A presentation of The Hockey Shop, source for sports Surrey. Check them out in the lower mainland, thehockeyshop.com worldwide. This is In Goal Radio, the podcast. Back with you for another week uh, as we delay the launch of this week's episode just to absorb a little bit more of the first week of the National Hockey League season. Allow more of a, a sample size, and I'm glad we did. So we bring in the co-founders of In Goal Magazine, David Hutchison and Kevin Woodley, because we got some great performances on Saturday night that uh, give us something. Uh, more to chew on over the course of the week. And uh, before we get uh, knee deep into everything, we've got our Sense Arena feature interview coming up with Nico Dawes. Uh, a great story. A first year pro uh, playing, uh, of course, coming off a, a nice, beautiful a wonderful uh, OHL career, uh, World Junior uh, Championship appearance. Uh, so we've got that discussion uh, ahead, plus our gear segment brought to you by uh, the Hockey Shop, Source for Sports Story, the Hockey Shop. But uh, I just want to take a little stick tap over to and, and it's it's not the warm-up stick it's the real game stick that i'm using for the stick tap to uh kevin woodley on his mike smith vesna trophy prediction nice start pal two games i'm ready to pat myself like it doesn't take much as we've established in 140 plus episodes for me to pat myself on the back so i will take it after two games listen all I really meant is that my whole point of picking Mike Smith was sort of to go against all the people that picked him and that tandem to be last in the league. I just don't see it. I think it's sustainable. And in the early going, he looks really good over his knees, balance, getting into his posts like that. Yeah, there was one bad goal where he made a bad read and get caught in between. But like he's just moving so well right now. And I get it. He's 39. Maybe he gets hurt. He's got a pretty good, pretty good durability track record. And uh, I just I, I'm going with it. So, yeah. Backpats. I need like a machine to pat myself on the back. <laughs> well, between uh, Kerry being out and Marc-Andre Fleury, the reigning Besson Trophy winner, uh, off to uh, a rocky start with the Chicago Blackhawks. Uh, Jordan Binnington wins uh, his first. It's it's wide open for Team Canada, boys. It's not just that, that you pick Mike Smith. It's the overall big picture, Hutch. Like, this thing is there for the taking. There's so many so many options but it's early boys it's early boys let's not get too excited about things changing up so uh, no, no, also tracking team canada's we, olympic team too we can get excited about my predictions when they look good early and then forget about them when they don't late i, I can live with that freddie anderson uh did you check out some of his work uh, he was brilliant uh, for the carolina hurricanes uh 38 saves in, in a victory over nashville so nice start there with a new team and interesting to me, like the one fear, the only fear I had, you, we, we've established this in the podcast. I'm a big Freddie Anderson fan. But when I looked at the stats, the one fear I had is his performance seemed to fall off in Toronto when they became good defensively. Like he was really good, like exceptional when they were loose defensively and he had to bail them out. He made all kinds of great saves. But when they, they started really cracking down defensively and he wasn't busy, the numbers, like just statistically, the numbers, the adjusted numbers from ClearSight Analytics, they fell off quite a bit. And you wonder, not every goalie's comfortable in that type of environment. And I thought that's what he'd be getting in Carolina. So when he has a performance like that, part of me goes like, yeah, awesome, Freddie. By the way, I picked him in my hockey pool the other night as, as my season-long goalie for that exact reason. But it was a 40-shot night. Like I always expect Freddie Anderson to be great on a 40-shot night. I'm curious to see. There's going to be, I think he'll do it. I just think there's going to be an adjustment in place if they go back to being a 23, 24 shot night team. 
a guy that had a, a tough go of it last year, Thomas Grice uh, Hutch, was brilliant for the Red Wings uh, as he stopped the Vancouver Canucks. I mean, it was a it was a sensational beginning to the season for Thomas Grice. Forty of forty one. It was uh, an incredible performance. I mean, uh, it looked like the puck was in Detroit's end for the entire third period, practically. And what I loved is just the way he uh, came up strong late to deny Horvat just before. I mean, it would have been the would have been the tying goal, and he went left, right. It seemed like about seven times before he arrived to make the save, perfectly balanced. Uh, we've always loved Thomas Grice. Just what a, what a fantastic goaltender! His ability to read the game, his ability to uh, to do things that that other guys can't do. Um, we probably told the story on here a thousand times before, but watching him many years ago at the Net Three Sixty camp uh, win a shootout without having gone down even once. You know, like uh, I just love the athleticism and and great to see him do so well last night. Maybe the best performance of the week was John Gibson in opening night uh, for the Anaheim Ducks when he just stoned the uh, the Winnipeg Jets. Actually, got hurt at the end of the game and wasn't able to go in game two. Anthony Stollers uh, stepped in and took a tough loss on a late goal uh, against the Minnesota Wild. But John Gibson was fantastic, so that's good news for Team USA uh, when you're tracking Olympic candidates. How about the guy at the other end of, of that one? What's Kemp Talbot through two starts? Night running a nine fifty early for the Minnesota Wild, a team that I think a lot of people had question marks about with the buyouts and their salary cap situation. They get Caprice off back. They start hot, and Talbot's a big part of that. We've talked about that before. Just in my mind, uh, and in part because I know this was part of the process, just a perfect blend of, you know, taking a look at a goalie and how his statistical profile fit a team and how they played. And last year it worked and it looks it's early, like you said, but it looks like it's going to be a nice fit again this year. So I think Talbot's a guy that gets overlooked a little too much um, and he's off to a really nice start. Uh, Gibson is my guy for Team USA uh, right now. That's the hot take. Well, you had another hot take last last week, too, didn't you? Didn't you say Bob would be back? Yes. Yeah. So about 935 or so to start the year. You're looking pretty good on your hot takes too, and we're not even going to talk about what I called last week because uh, just probably not even on the first page. So here are my week one team Canada goaltenders: Jordan Bennington, Mike Smith, Darcy Kemper, and Cam Talbot. Those are my four guys fighting for three spots. That's my week. My week one. <laughs> we'll see what happens. <laughs> Darren's going to rank it every week. There's a crisis going on around the National Hockey League. Do you guys know what it is? What's that? We're five days in. There's not a single shutout. Not not one. Mm. Where's the one? You're no. holding up your finger. One. No, I no, checked no. stats. Yeah, no. You're right. You're right. Hudobin's rock, rocking a 1,000 save percentage on six saves on six shots. So uh, that's because that's that's because Holtz uh, cramped up, had problems with the cramping yeah, again, right. hydration issues. But fortunately, that's something he's dealt with forever, and he'll he'll be fine long term. So he started good too, eh? We call it, we sort of called that a bounce back for Braden Holtby in Dallas. He had a good start there. Um, yeah, no shoutouts. I, you know what? Like, I don't think that's on the goalies, Darren. I think that's just the teams being far too loose defensively early in the year. Like, I'm not accepting any res- any responsibility on behalf of the goaltending union. What Alex Nedeljkovic? Alex Nedeljkovic's welcome to Detroit moment was 48 shots from the Tampa Bay Lightning and just grade A plus plus all night long. Like, 
Wow. Welcome. Welcome to your new team. Uh, here's a cigarette and a blindfold. Have fun. <laughs> uh, goaltenders out playing the puck uh, with new teams. There's been some adventures on that side of it. Uh, we've, we've witnessed a few of those adventures. Oh, I, t- talk, I was like, my eyes, I, I texted you guys in the group chat. My eyes were like saucers when I saw Tristan Jari's first game. In the, and uh, oh, they, they, they pulled the goalie at the other end. Tampa pulls the goalie, pulls Vasilevsky with six minutes left. I'm like, they actually scored twice on Jari with the goalie pulled. But unfortunately, Pittsburgh scored a couple into the empty net as well. But I was like... You know, we've had this conversation with Tristan. We know like that he's like on the list of who's getting an empty net goal next in the national. It's Tristan Jari, Alex Nedeljkovic. I might even put them ahead of Mike Smith, even though he took a shot at it in the preseason. Not, it's not based on skill. Like, I just yeah. think they get the way they get like those guys are going to go for it, too. Like Mike even said after he went through it in the preseason, he might not do it in the regular season, depending on the score, you know, because of the score. It was a tight game at the time. Uh, Jari and and Nadelkovich are my two. And I thought for sure Tristan was six minutes left. I'm like, I was like, it's happening. It's happening. It well, the happen. other thing you see at this time of year, though, Mike Smith had a little bobble behind the net that almost cost him last night is you've got. Teams with new defensemen, new goaltenders, communication systems aren't in place, and you're you're bound to see a, a few more hiccups at this time of year as well. So good on these guys for having the courage to get back there and take a shot. Nadelkovich uh, had one. Uh, Flurry had one. There's been uh, a few yeah. of those. Uh, Mike Smith had the opportunity last night, uh, as we record this on Sunday, uh, against the Calgary Flames. They had the net empty, and I was watching uh, for that. Uh, and instead, can you believe this, you guys? Instead, the Oilers focused on setting up Connor McDavid for a hat trick instead of Mike Smith for the goal. That's, that's, that's selfish. It's selfish. Totally selfish. Forwards who uh, control the puck. It's already going to get 100 goals. Let Smitty get one. Uh, Tristan Jari, I love that black and gold set. That's just pops. Yeah, no, it, it does. It does. Full credit to Vaughn on that one. A little bit of a unique design, just a predominantly black with the, just the gold down near the boot or the or yellow. It's more Pittsburgh yellow down near the boot. Like just, I, I'm with you. I'm with you. I, you know, we know about the rules. We know about Ian Clark and the white outer rolls. And they, I do think there's something about white looking bigger. I'm sorry uh, to all the people that disagree. There's science there. There's a lot of goalie coaches that believe in it. Um, but I'm sorry. It pops. That black pops. I know there's science, but did you see Mike Smith last night? Like with those dark blue Oilers Smitty's jerseys, Smitty's the exception enormous. to the role. He looks massive in anything. No, no, but like everybody on that team looked massive in those jerseys, I thought. You like, know what it is I, on I, those sweaters, those Oilers sweaters? Sorry. It's the uh, numbers on the arms. The, the digits on the sleeves of those Oilers sweaters are bigger than some numbers on the back of sweaters. <laughs> so... I thought they were retired. Like on that note, I thought they were getting. That was their third jersey last year. Those ones. I thought they were getting rid of that. I don't. I loved it. I think it's a great look. I'm glad they didn't. I think it's awesome. Hey and hey boys. Hey boys. Speaking of sleeves, somebody on the in goal team got a new, a little bit of new ink. So we're gonna speaking have of to patting myself on the back, Woody. Yeah. No. No. But we're gonna have to. We need to hear from the listeners. So we're gonna throw it up on the social some point this week. It's a work in progress. A little goalie theme tattoo, and let's see if anybody can guess who got it. I'll just hold Hi. it up now and see what everybody thinks on the podcast. But but yeah, there we go. <laughs> there it is. Looks great. Yeah, yeah. Hey, everybody in the oh, podcast. Yeah, yeah. Um, so we, we're going to need some feedback, folks. Pre- you can rip us. You can, you can tell us you love it. Whatever you want. It's we're so show nice it off. of you, Woody, putting my favorite goalie growing up on your arm. That's, uh, is your arm sore? 
Woody? I'm not saying no. you got the tattoo, but I'm just asking if your arm's sore. Yeah, we, we, we really kept the mystery on this one, eh, boys? Um, uh, I guess I guess you could probably guess which one of the three of us would end up with a tattoo. Um, the, the who's the least bright of the bunch? That's me. Um, my arm is uh, no, it's not sore. Uh, it hurts going on. Uh, I've had them before. I've got I've got a bunch, but um, it it's not sore. No, it's, it's it gets itchy, Darren. In the healing process, it's more itchy than it is pain. In the healing process, the pain is just as it goes on, and it's not as bad as people think. Woody, I think you missed it. He was asking if your arm was sore from patting yourself on the back, buddy. You know what? That went right over my head. And right, speaking of right so over my does. head. That's There's a so lot more time. room over my head now because I also got a haircut. Let's make this the Woody show. No, no, it's 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 not Kevin Woodley. It's Kevin Wood me. That that that's <laughs> that's the new name. Uh, I thought I thought maybe the tattoo uh, would have been about uh, a former University of Toronto, our current University of Toronto goaltender Alex Bishop. Is it true that you got Alex Bishop put on your arm after the, he signed an amateur trial contract with the Toronto Maple Leafs to serve as the backup? Not Ebug. He was the actual backup for the Toronto Maple Leafs uh, against uh, the Ottawa Senators on Saturday night. With all due respect to Alex Bishop, because this, this take has nothing to do with him. But if I'm getting that tattoo, it's on my ass because I do not like the fact that we're three games into the season in a $5 billion league with one of its highest valued franchises, and they're rolling out an e-bug. Mismanaging your cap is not a quote-unquote emergency. If you had to go with 5D as the alternative, like it, it's emergency backup yeah, they had the choice. They had the choice. They could have gone with 5D or dress 60 and then not have enough space for the backup uh, recall. And they went with the amateur trial. And listen, like the decision they made makes sense because you just you're trusting Jack Campbell to get through the game healthy. The kid never leaves the bench. It's better than playing with 5D, which leaves you shorthanded all game. They weren't shorthanded because he just sat there on the bench. But the risk you take, like it just feels. And three games into the league that with one of its richest franchises. I just, again, like, e-bugs are fun. They're great stories. It's awesome. But really, this is where we're still at. It's in, it, it should be more embarrassing than it is, frankly. It really should be. I'm telling you right now, they dodged disaster because if something happens and they have to put the backup in, guess what? It's, it's not turning out right. And just, I, I, I can't believe with, Toronto, the, all the different things that they've uh, stepped in with David Ayers and all that uh, jazz, that it didn't uh, come back to bite them. But you, sh- you should have to dress two National Hockey League goaltenders if there's any way to dress two National Hockey League goaltenders. And they had the option. Like Michael Hutchison is literally down the street. They just would have had, it would have been at the expense of the six defensemen in order to fit on the roster. And in their defense, in their defense, in their defense, this is a COVID-related thing, right? Not The injury to Mrazek has nothing to do with it, but the reason they couldn't make a move to send Lilligren, Lilligren, Lilligren uh, down to the minors, the defenseman, is because Justin Hall had a cold, his PCR test didn't come back in time, so he wasn't eligible under COVID protocol rules, so that's why they couldn't make the roster move they expected to make. So COVID did put them in more of a jam than normal. But then in that case, like, I get it. We don't want taxi squads, but shouldn't we have a third goaltending option this year? 
Like, shouldn't they have thought of this? Because if we're going through this three games into the season, given some of the numbers that we see in the States, and yes, you can get COVID when you're vaccinated, but it just ain't going to kill you like it does if you're not. You are going to have guys in the protocol this year. I think they've missed something here. If three games in, we're using an e-bug, they... They need to, well, and again, that puts you behind the eight ball because you haven't planned for it. Like, you look at the chaos that it caused in the minor leagues last year, shortages of goaltenders, and but I'd much rather have those shortages and emergency backup situations take place in the lower level leagues out of the sight of, I don't know, Hockey Night in Canada on a Saturday night, three games into the season. But how about, how about an easy, how about an easy change is they declared that because of a quote unquote emergency, they could bring in a university goalie. How about for emergency, you can suspend the cap hit of that third goal you bring up. Then you get a proper goaltender there. And isn't that better? Yeah. And you know what? That's actually a good idea. Because my, my first thought is as soon as you do anything with the cap, you create a situation where teams are going to find a way to take advantage of it. Yeah. yeah of and, and, and of course, I got to think this through. And I'm not very good at thinking on my feet. We've established I'm not that bright. Going to the butterfly. Um, but I, yeah, there we go. Now I'm thinking in the butterfly. Oh, but everything hurts. I like maybe there's a way to manipulate that, but I think you're right, Hutch, because it's not like you could bury an awesome goaltender in the minor leagues and have him sitting in reserve and hide him that way. Because the reality is he never would have got through waivers to get there in the first place. So, yeah, like that seems like something that maybe could be discussed, although I'm sure, again, some team's going to argue that there's a way to use it to your advantage that my little pea brain just hasn't thought of. Oh, but, but I like maybe, I like the idea. A, maybe it's a one game thing. And if it has to be two, it's the other guy that comes up or th- th- there's got to be creative ways to make it work. Yeah, because that's like again. I, and listen, I think the league likes these stories. I think the league like they well, you get a lot. You know, of it sh- it gets a lot, especially if they get into a game. Like we're still talking about you know the legend of David Ayers and Scott Foster, and they are great stories. And this is nothing against the people that serve their roles. Like some of the e bugs take it quite seriously, and like and good on them. I just think this is a five billion dollar league. Let's behave like it for crying out loud. Getting back to the third goalie option or a taxi squad, yes or no, would goaltenders that would be in that tweener situation be in favor of that rule or would they rather play in the American Hockey I'm I'm thinking they'd rather be playing in the American Hockey League than be carried around as a taxi squad goalie. All depends on what salary they're making, right? So last year, if you were on a two-way, you made your AHL salary, right? Like, um, like, and I hate to say it, right? But if I'm a guy who's on a 750-250 split and I get 750 on that taxi squad, I'm taking the 750 every time. Um, careers are short. That's the reality. That's a big bump. But guys didn't uh, play last year. They got to be playing. They got to be playing goal. They they were also they were also on the two like that's the game. if you were on the taxi squad and you had a two way you were on the lower number right so you didn't get your NHL salary on the taxi squad so you don't have that benefit but this is this is one of the reasons we don't have a practice goalie in the NHL guys like this is an idea that's been around for a long time some teams have not so much formally presented it but this has been bandied about and the reason it hasn't happened the concept of a practice goalie is in part the appetite on the NHL end to make it happen does not outweigh the appetite on the NHLPA end for it to only happen if it's an actual NHLPA job and subject to league minimums. So like there's like the PA wants it to be a league minimum job 
and the NHL isn't willing to ha- doesn't value the idea of a practice goalie enough to have that fight. So that's why we don't have them because a practice goalie that could officially step in in an emergency capacity be, would be perfect. Again, not the question you're asking. The question is about playing games. I think you're right, Darren. After last year, especially like Louis Domingue, look at what he went through last year. Just basically getting peppered in practice for the entire season, plays two games late in the year. Like. I remember being in on that Zoom after because his first start was here in Vancouver and I was covering the game and like just hear that it's sort of it wasn't even frustration. It was almost like anguish in his voice about, you know, what the whole year had been like and how difficult it was to go through a whole year without actually playing a game. So, you know, Hutch's Hutch's rule probably makes sense because it allows you to have both worlds, allows you to be in the AHL playing, but still be that option to come up on short notice. It's also a win for these guys because they come up and they make NHL money for a, for a night or a few nights or whatever. So I think it's great for everybody. As opposed to as opposed to the ATO who doesn't even get like they don't get any. I don't know what they, I don't even know well, they get the sweater too. anymore. Like it's yeah. Well, that's no, ridiculous. actually, if they're sitting on the bench, they get the sweater. And let's be honest, I'm sure the Maple Leafs are a good enough team. Like I've seen the hat passed. I remember yeah. there was one here where the Sharks came in town. Like uh, it was a UBC goalie and like. You want to be the emergency backup who gets onto the bench when the guys passing the hat in the room after to collect include Joe Thornton and Brent Burns because I'm thinking that hat was stuffed. $100,000 for a practice goalie per team. Worth it? I'll take that job. Yeah, that's the problem. Guys like us jump all over it, Darren. It's it's. It, but if you think you so like you really do leave yourself into the guys who are in between and not really can't really drink like they really don't have a legitimate career, but they're good enough or have played at a good enough level. Maybe somebody who's recently retired or had to retire early because the options weren't there. Because um, that and that's the problem. Hey, listen, this is the other thing of the pack practice goalie. We've, we've spent a lot of time on this, but uh, everyone says, "Why don't you do? It? Why don't you do it?" Hey, teams don't want it. This is, you know, a lot of teams have options. They have trainers and stuff that will go in the net. Um, we've talked about the the, the, the Canucks have one, uh, Carolina Hurricanes with Yorg. Um, like they have these guys that will come in and, and spell goalies in practice. The reality is, and some of them are special enough and good enough that the team appreciates it and and enjoys it. But a lot of times, like if a, if a starter's bailing on a regular basis and it's like, like, NHL shooters don't want to shoot on scrubs. They don't. And they don't like it and coaches don't like it. And that's part of this process as well. You'd have to make sure that that guy on the 100K salary is good enough. It would have to be a guy who played at a pro level and can compete with them. Otherwise, they're pissed that they're not shooting on an NHL goalie. That's real. Those are conversations I've had around the league. It's a real thing. And it's part of the complication of making this happen. Uh, good conversation, uh, great uh, discussion, and uh, just uh, one more on opening week. Uh, Jeremy Swayman, who I learned about through this podcast, through the feature interview brought to you by Sense Arena uh, on the Ingle Radio podcast, he got the opening day start for the Boston Ruins and a game one win. That's pretty cool. Yeah, on merit. He had a really good season last year. He's had a really good preseason. Like Jeremy... If you've listened, if you hadn't, if you didn't listen to the interview that that Darren's talking about, make sure you go back and check it out. Um, it just you can't help but love and root for this kid. He's just such a good person, um, and his approach. Like you're not surprised when you find about out about his approach. You know, 
Alfie Michaud talked about it and Jeremy embraced it, that be where your feet are mentality, right? Like just be in the moment. And so I'm not surprised he's having success. And and I know Boston can be a really tough market on goalies, just as Tuka Rask and all the crap he's put up with over the years. Um, and and as much as I think Jeremy's capable of taking that job and running with it, folks, if you're listening from Boston, don't jump all over Lena Salmark just yet. One of the things we're seeing right now around the league, talk about Marc-Andre Fleury's early struggles. Hutch mentioned it. It's a great point. It takes a little while to get used to a new team, new personnel, new defensemen, and a new system. Linus Hallmark is going to be just fine. Treasure what you have, a legitimate number one goaltender with a track record in Linus Hallmark, and a, an incredible young man up and coming who looks ready for the role already in Jeremy Swayman. In a year where you're going to need both, that is a really nice thing to have. No point crapping all over one of them at, just because the other's playing well early. Uh, you used anguish earlier in the show. I thought that was a great use of the word. And then he follows it up uh, three minutes later with crapping. That That is the the polar opposite of word usage. Would, would you? Well, I say, listen, I, I, had to, I had a question. We had an article this week from Ian Clark at the Mag Premium member site talked about flushing. So there was some there was some confusion there. I had a local radio hit and they were like, what is flushing? I'm like, no, to the host. This isn't after you had a couple of burritos the night before. This is this is about getting the pad sealed to the ice and, and a proper way to do it. So wait, sometimes we got to go into the potty talk. Uh, and I'm sure that that's what the Finnish goaltender was uh, throwing out there. Uh, there's a great uh, in Instagram post, uh, Hutch, up on the Ingle uh, about a goaltender that just gets all tied up uh, to the corner of the net. It's I still don't know really what happened, but there's got to be some kind of lesson in this other than just embarrassment and frustration. I don't think we know either. Um, I I know we talked before, just before we came on here to record this, we put it up on Instagram. Uh, it's a clip uh, courtesy of the Liga. And Kevin Woodley, um, being the journalist he is, doesn't like just throwing things up without the backstory, but this one was too good. So hopefully we get the backstory for you at some point and, and we can get that. But uh, yeah, to see this poor goaltender get his toe ties caught on the post somehow. I don't even know how that happens. Um, and then he was looking for some help from the referee, but he wasn't getting it. Uh, how loose do you leave those toe ties? It's presumably not under under the you know the extra space we all leave between the skate and the pad. It's they must have some crazy long laces dangling there or something. I don't know what it is, but uh, that's uh, that's something I have never seen. So go to our Instagram, check it out, uh, leave a comment, see if you've had something similar or something even crazier. We would love to hear. Yeah, hold on. I'm not blaming the toe ties. That's got to be a post malfunction. Come on. We're in the union here. This can't be on the goalie. This has to be on the post. That had to be. Uh, a- you got to tie those toe ties up better. Come on. It's a little bit of both. We got it. We got to be neat and tidy, don't we? If you're listening to the podcast right now and you're dissecting this, you ever get caught up in the net, a pad, maybe a buckle, uh, because you've uh, you've slid into the the corner, uh, a stick uh, with the knob going through the mesh uh, at some point. Uh, what, what's what's the goofiest story or or most unique uh, situation you've been in when it comes to getting caught up in the net? There's got to be a few out there. How about getting caught? Like, how many of you guys have had the blade pop out? Uh, I had that just recently. Never. Blade Uh, broke. Oh, yeah. I've had mine pop out once and and 
they actually gave me a whistle when they saw me floundering around, but you don't get that in the National League. There's one we got to debate one of these days. Like, should you? Should you get a whistle because your blade pops out? Your your helmet pops up off. Uh, you don't get a whistle. Like as as a player, uh, if you if you lose a skate as a player, skate blade, they don't blow it down. No, no, play on. I agree. We had we had that in the preseason. I can't remember which goal it was, but somebody got really stranded outside his net. It might have been. Is it Stolers? One, anyways, just got stranded out there, and what needed that right? Like he was totally turned around. So he wanted to rotate back with his right edge to get back into the crease, like kind of scoop around, and he just couldn't. So he just kept pushing with his right skate, and just nothing happened, nothing happened. They eventually scored into an empty net, and he was just still standing there facing the end boards, trying to push off this right skate to sort of scull himself back in. And I'm like, the only part of me that thought it was dangerous was the fact he couldn't turn himself around. And... You know, like if you take that one off the back of the head, for example, that's dangerous. Well, but, that's the, and that's the only thing I was thinking about this toe tie incident because this poor goalie's facing facing the wrong direction and unable to get anywhere. So, I guess that's a little bit dangerous. But I don't think I don't think innovations in technology suddenly mean you get a break when that new innovation doesn't play out for you. Um, the technology's there to keep skate blades in, and if they don't stay in, then that's your that's your loss. Unfortunately, I think. There's only one real option. If that happens to you, call, call Cam, call the hockey shop, source for sports, Surrey, the hockey shop.com. Get in touch with them. If something goes wrong with your skate blade, Cecil is there to take care of you over at the hockey shop. Is, is that not the no brainer answer of the day? We ordered two sets of blades last week and a proper profile a good goalie profile finally a good goalie profile that young hutch loves that's what they're there for at the hockey shop finding the answers to your problems hey eh? 100% i honestly like it's been a problem dogging him for a long time here and uh cam and cecil came through and it feels better than he's ever had so it's well worth the call well in addition to gear that's on sale we've got that coming up in the gear segment with cam this week in addition to the newest the latest the greatest from all the major manufacturers don't forget that you can get your blades, buy your, buy your custom steel, buy your aftermarket steel, have it custom profiled, have multiple ships, ships, multiple sets shipped to you if you want. And also, if you happen to live here in the lower mainland and you need gear repairs like me right now, um, had, a, had, a, had, a, had a skate blade get into a stitch and the stitch started to let go um and the pad basically started to completely come apart because it was a major stitch line of the pad cecil's had to take the whole thing apart and sew it back together for me those are the kind of things they do at the hockey shop and the hockey shop.com it's not just new gear it's not just the best gear for your game it's blades custom profiles and even gear repair including pads and gloves cecil can do it all if you've got any problems with gear you need fixed or got questions you need answers make sure you give them a shout check them out online at thehockeyshop.com and like i said sale items that's what we got into this week because there's another item on sale from warrior at the hockey shop right now so let's go to cam and figure out just what those options are and how much we can save Welcome back to the Hockey Shop Source for Sports. We're down here in Goalie Utopia once again with Cam Matwiv. And we've got a line that may look familiar to some of you. We've talked before about the ritual 
G5 line from Warrior. Why are we talking about it again today? I'll be honest with you. Only this guy knows. So, Cam, what's the deal? <laughs> what's the deal? It's on sale. That's the deal. Come on down to the hockey shop or thehockeyshop.com and check out the fabulous pricing we have on the Warrior G5 Senior Plus, G5 Senior Plus SDC models, which you see in front of us, G5 Pro, and also G5 Pro Protective being the chest protector in the three models that we carry. Awesome, great pricing. We have the pads out here in front of us. Again, in particular, our SDC version. So what that means and what that is. Source for sports exclusive. Exactly, exactly. Special colorway you're not going to find anywhere else. Obviously in the white red. There's the white and blue, black white option here. Also, something left in the Philly, the white, black, and orange. It ended up being quite popular. That's an attractive looking yes. setup. We are getting down to our last little bit of um, sizing and uh, what's left for colors in each thing. So make sure you double check uh, online or give us a call here at 604-589-8299 to double check the stock. A couple cool features. Pads, weave sliding surface beyond the exclusive colors. Might be a little hard to see without getting a nice little close up there. It's called B-roll, dumbass. <laughs> yeah, a close-up, you know. That I'll works. film that later. Uh, glove and blockers themselves. Uh, gloves, got skate lace. Just a nice little addition. Adds the nice look of it. Again, this also goes all the way down into our intermediate sizing category, which we have a few left as well. Great overall feeling senior pad. 20%. I was going to say, you buried the lead there. Again, dummy. What? It's 20% off. So you what tell me 20% is how much? On each line. I'm going to make them do math, folks. Watch the, like, it's like a hamster going around in his head. $7.99 on the pads. For the intermediate or for the senior? For the senior. Senior plus pad, $7.99 with Source for Sports exclusives. It's got the weave, as Cam mentioned, as a special feature. There are a lot of stock items that make this pad pretty unique in terms of just the way it's set up. Walk us through sort of some of those unique features, Cam, for those who don't remember our original <laughs> review. Adjustable calf fit. Chance to get it a little bit tighter by actually sliding through that slit right there. Uh, get a little bit more wrap to it. So you can wear this. It's a pretty wide open leg channel, but by sliding that through the middle, you can really tighten that thing up. I love, you know what? I'm going to be honest with you, Cam. We did this once before and you didn't even, I don't even remember you mentioning that. That's pretty cool. Uh, it's a highlight. You know, I remember these things you don't apparently. I remember you not talking about it. I remember when you had short hair. Elastic toe ties. Great feature, ease of doing up your pad, some nice adjustability there. You can make them a little bit longer too if you find they're too, too tight. Same thing with bootstrap, adjustable um, settings if you do need it tight, although I wouldn't necessarily recommend it super, super tight because it hangs up the skate quite a bit. Um, profile lock, something that's only featured on the Senior Plus pad. Again, that ability to kind of adjust that thigh rise and bring it down a little bit more. You can, hold on a second, you can actually sort of curve it Get a little bit more pre-curve for you guys that need a little bit more um, what do you mean, closure. What do you mean, you guys, king of the narrow butterfly, no flexibility in the hips? You guys. Hey. Yeah. What can Guarantee I say? You can see a profile locking this thing around his pathetically narrow butterfly. <laughs> I'm just profile locking you into a narrow butterfly. I don't have a narrow butterfly. There's a little animosity today. I might have to get a haircut this week, so I'm bitter about it. One more quick, nice added feature for added value. I was signing off and you've got more stuff. This comes with? Yeah, it does. I'm just talking about our built-in added value that comes with it. So you're telling me for $7.99 on the intermediate pad, I also get free knee pads and you know what we think of the Warrior knee pads. And in the senior as well. 
and at the pro, and at the junior. You've got any more questions about this great sale on the Warrior G5 line, um, make sure you give Cam a shout. Check them out at thehockeyshop.com. A lot of your answers will be online. But if you've got questions directly for Cam in terms of what's left for sizing, uh, how to size yourself properly in this pad, uh, how it fits on your leg, how it's going to fit your game, give him a shout at 604-589-8299, 1-800-567-7790. You were going to ask. I, I was going to ask. We need to have a little, I think I wore the shirt and everything to remind you who's in charge today. And like you're going full rogue on me here. Uh, well. I, I'm out. I can't work with this. This is just. <laughs> See you guys soon. Sales, repairs, in information, it's all available uh, for you over at the hockey shop, thehockeyshop.com, source for sports, Surrey, worldwide. Just peruse the website, uh, or if you're lucky enough to be in the lower mainland, go over and you might run into Woody doing his thing with Cam in, in Goalie Utopia. Wouldn't that be cool if you guys just set up a little autograph table down there? Yeah, yeah that would be the emptiest uh, autograph table you've ever seen. What the hell is this guy doing standing at a table? Who the hell is that? <laughs> is he, is he, it's like a coffee shop where you just go do some work and hang out all day. That, that's what you'd look like is one of those people. Nobody coming up to your table. Not to mention after the haircut, nobody would recognize me. All, the, all our gear segments feature the old like giant salad. It's all gone now. They'd be like, what the hell is that? Unless you showed the tattoo. Yeah, but we don't know who actually, which one of us actually got a tattoo. So remember that part? And we don't know who's on, like, the, what the tattoo is of. Right, right. I, that either. Pretty sure we dropped enough hints, boys. People are going to figure it out. Yeah, it was Woodme. Yeah, he, he's right there. Uh, Woody, we got more uh, from you in our Sensorina, Sensorina VR feature interview on InGoal Magazine. Uh, Nico Dawes, and this is uh, this got to be exciting times for him. After the COVID year spent in Germany, and now starting his first uh, professional year in North America. Yeah, you know, and um, people would be like, hey, what, how did Nico Dawes pop up on your radar? Well, talking to people in the Devils organization, how impressed they are with this young man and the way he handled it. And, you know, as you hear from Nico, not surprised to hear that he got a lot of support from the Devils organization while he was away. Like, that's tough, eh? Like, your first year pro, and you're doing it on the other side of the world in the middle of COVID. But I just think there's there's a lot to like about his approach, as you'll hear. I just think that, you know, this may not be a name that a lot of people know, right? Like maybe some people remember from the World Juniors, um, but he's not, you know, a household name in the pro, you know, NHL level yet. But there were so many good little sort of lessons that he has learned over the past year and along this path. Um you know, when he talked about it after we stopped recording about the lessons he's learned from Dave Rogalski, um, the, the goalie coach of the New Jersey Devils, about sort of letting go of the technique and just allowing his instinct and going out and playing the game. And, you know, how do you do that, right? Easy for us to say, but how do you do that? So I just really enjoyed this conversation with Nico. Uh, I'm excited to see his first year in pros with the, with the Utica Comets who have switched affiliations to the Devils, see how it goes. Um, and there will be more lessons along the way. It's part of being a young pro. But I love his openness in sharing them with us in this interview. Um, and there are some insights in there that I think a lot of young goalies can benefit from, uh, you know, right down to minor hockey because they were lessons that Nico learned along the way. I just love the approach. Um, and the Devils love him as a young goaltender and so excited to see where his career goes. And, 
hey, let's get in early on these guys. I love it. And I also uh, really appreciate what the New Jersey Devils have done with their goaltending department. And I have a question about uh, something you just talked about, but that'll come after the feature interview brought to you by Sense Arena. Hutch? Sense Arena. And what an exciting time for Sense Arena, guys. Remember, the global skills competition has now started. And uh, they had one competition last year that we were a part of and just loved because you get your chance to test your skills on Sense Arena with other goaltenders around the world. Now they've taken it, as they do, to a completely new level. This is a five-month competition, and you work your way through this, and if you make the final 32 and manage to come out a winner, you get a trip to the Stanley Cup playoffs. Uh, What a cool opportunity. They're going through five different cities virtually uh, with this competition. We've started in New Jersey with the Devils, And uh, they've got a couple of drills up this week that you can start working on. And then every month at the end of the month, it sort of opens up for scores. And uh, your most recent score goes into the competition against everybody else. There'll be a leaderboard up on the website where you can see how you're doing. A couple of cool drills uh, for this month that they've already announced. So you can start practicing them uh, that involve a little bit of, I mean, they're pure goaltending, making saves, but uh, things just get a little bit different. One of them, the puck disappears briefly. Another one, the the lights sort of go out, not completely, um, so that you're doing a few things. One of the things I love about Sense Arena, you're making goaltending saves, but you've got some options to do some things you'll never get to do on the ice. Uh, It would take a creative guy to stand there and turn the lights off every shot. Don't think we want to do that. Um, But things like the box control ropes, the angle lines on the ice, all these ways of augmenting, Uh, What we normally do on the ice help you take your skills to a new level. And so they're highlighting that uh, this month in the Global Hockey Schools Tour, Hockey Skills, excuse me, tour. And so really encourage everybody to get in there, give Sense Arena a try and get involved in the competition. Just a really cool way of working your goalie skills off the ice. Turning the lights off. I actually had that happen in a practice once. No, really? Yeah, literally. The power went out and... I'm so old, there were no backup generators or anything, and the lights just went out. And it was pitch black in the rink. It was like those old lights that had to heat back up again for a while. Well, yeah, yeah, exactly. It was kind of freaky trying to make our way to the, trying to make our way off the ice. Crazy. Hey, listen, didn't the lights go out on the New Jersey Devils in a preseason game? Yes, there there was a power outage. That's right. They were all, all, the, all the jokes were that they couldn't afford to pay the electric bill because they had Dougie Hamilton salary. I saw it all on Twitter. But, uh, but now they've got uh, uh, things up and going, and, and Dougie Hamilton scored his first goal, and things are progressing nicely uh, with, uh, with the New Jersey Devils, and they have Nico Dawes in the fold, which is a perfect uh, little tie-in into our Sensorina. Sensorina be our feature interview, Nico with Kevin. Very pleased to be joined on the Ingo Radio podcast for the first time by Nico Dawes, goaltender with the New Jersey Devils, currently net with the Utica Comets. Um, I was trying to figure out where to start with this one, Nico, because you and I, this is one of those occasions where we don't go way back, so I haven't met you before. This is all new. I did get a, li- a few tips from uh, your goaltending coach with the New, New Jersey Devils, uh, Dave Rogalski, about how things were going so far. So. Let me, let me first start, just catch us up with where you are this year. Not your first year pro, 
but your first year North American pro. You spend last year with everything that was going on in the world, playing pro in Germany. What's the adjustment been like this year coming back to North America? And then we'll get into what it was like overseas. Uh, yeah, it's definitely a big adjustment. I mean, going over there in the first place was an adjustment with, you know, going from amateur to pro and bigger ice surface and older players. And then coming back here, it's kind of, I think that that last year really helped me out in the fact that, you know, getting just getting a year of pro under my belt and really starting to learn, you know, what, what you need to do and how fast it is and all that. And, you know, definitely it's a lot faster over here too. So um, it's been good. It's been, uh, you know, we've been busy, a lot of work. You know, I think um, I'm really starting to see my game kind of come around and I'm happy with, uh, you know, where I've gotten to so far. Now, when you say see my game coming around, remember this is an audience of all goaltenders. If you're listening to us and you're not a goaltender, I might think there's something wrong with you. So for the other goaltenders uh, out there listening, when you say see my game coming around, what, what do you see? If, you, if I were to ask Nico Dawes to describe how he plays and what the keys are, and how they're evolving, what, uh, how, how would you describe it? Um, I think the keys to my game are, you know, you know, quiet feet. That's a term I like, like I, well, we use, me and the goalie coaches here is quiet feet, just, you know, being confident on your feet, always trying to beat everything on your feet when you can, because, you know, give yourself the best option there. Um, you know, keeping myself engaged in the game and not getting upset. Um, you know, I've, I've had tendencies in the past where I get upset with myself when I let a goal in and, you know, I kind of try to review the goal in my head and teach myself what I did wrong, where that's not the thing to do in the game, the game you just need to play. So, um, you know, little things like that and, you know, playing the puck, I think that's, you know, a strength of mine and it's something that, you know, I need to focus on and not do too much with the puck, but make sure I'm, I'm doing the right things with the puck. And, you know, it's all little things like that, just little so, cues. Okay. So when you say, um, you know, holding your feet and be- beating plays on your feet. I'm guessing going like going over to Europe, we've heard so many times before, guys who have been in the NHL for years and years, you ask them what the biggest step is. Most will tell you it's coming at a junior. And for you, that was with Guelph just two years ago into the American League or into that first year pro. Um, Germany and I know Germany's a little more Canadian style, but Europe's such a different style of play. Like, was there a benefit there to what is a little more of a pass, pass, pass league to sort of working on that and working on sort of making sure you're beating plays on your skates? Yeah, well, I think the biggest thing when I went over there, it was, you know, I played on bigger surface with world juniors, but that was such a short period of time. So going over there, um, you have more time than you think. Like in a lateral play in North America versus Europe, you know, sometimes North North America, maybe you can't beat it on your feet and you need to slide. But in Europe, there's a lot of times where you can beat plays on your feet because the rink's just a little bit bigger right so it's kind of like uh it's almost mental like you really need to convince yourself that you can beat plays on your feet a lot and you know i think i struggled with that last year and that's kind of getting over that mental mental hurdle so that was yeah that was very different is it almost easier coming back to uh an ice surface and a pace and sort of a more for lack of a better term, directness of style in terms of the way teams attack? Is it, is it a bit of an easier, like, does this feel like riding a bike a little bit more after being over there? Oh, well, I think it feels a lot more normal. It feels, um, you know, in junior, that's what, I mean, growing up all the way through, you're getting used to, you know, plays happening fast and you're on the smaller ice surface. So coming back to it, it kind of feels like comfortable again. Now, Going back to junior, you mentioned the World Junior Championships. Let's let's just rewind it a whole bunch. Like, catch me up with where did Nico Dawes 
develop a passion for goaltending? How did you become a goaltender? Um, I was young. I started, I started playing hockey when I was three or four. I played as a player until I was about eight. And when I was eight years old, I was playing house league and we got put into a tournament against a, like a select team, which was obviously a lot better than house league. So we went over, it was in, I think, uh, Rochester or something like that. And, um, nobody wanted to play net. So I, I played net the first game and we got smoked. Wasn't even close. We had probably lost by 10 goals and I loved it. So I played it in the next game and same thing. Probably didn't even make a save, but I was having so much fun. So the next summer, my dad asked me if I wanted to, you know, try a goalie for real. You know, that's kind of where it all started. <laughs> okay. That's, that's a different origin story. Like most of them involve, you know, being the younger sibling or an obsession with the equipment. You get pumped in that first game. What did you love about it? I don't know. I think, I mean, my dad always, he, he likes to bring me back to when I was a player, I was a defenseman and all I ever tried to do was block the puck. And I think, uh, you know, I, had, I, and I, and I, had, like I had played road hockey as a goalie before I, I grew up in a complex. I mean, everybody was older, so I kind of got forced into being in that, but I, I enjoyed it. I always liked being goalie, but I love scoring goals too. So I stayed as a player and then, uh, you know, when I finally tried it on the ice, it was it was a blast being that last line of defense. And I don't know, I guess I just kind of like the pressure. At what point did you, I mean, because it's, it's such a different world now um, than it was for, say, old farts like me growing up. Goalie coaches didn't exist. What point did you start to get serious about the position and maybe start getting some instruction uh, for it? Uh, I honestly think it was it was that first year of goalie. I think I, I would have been eight or nine. I started training with... Uh, Ryan Munts, his name is, you know, really good guy. He played, he played a little bit of pro and, uh, I got in contact with him and I started training with him. And I ended up training with him until I went to Guelph. Wow. Okay. And so what, what, what was like, do you, at what point there you get to Guelph? Is it, was there a point along that path? Um, what'd you love about the path? And was there a point as you started to learn more about the position where it's like, Hey, like this is, this isn't just something I love, but this is something I'm, uh, I'm pretty good at. There might be a future here. Yeah. I, it took me a while to, to, you know, not be good, but you know, be good enough. Like I tried out for rep a couple of years and I got cut and played select for a couple of years. And then I finally made the double A team and you know, I, I played really well. And then the next year I finally made the hop to AAA and I ended up playing four years at AAA. But I think, I think when I made it to AAA was, you know, kind of when I, I saw things starting to come together and, you know, kind of opened my eyes to, you know, maybe I can actually, you know, try to keep playing past minor midget. So I think, yeah, it, it was later in my goaltending career. Like I was probably 12 or 13 by the time I started taking it, you know, super seriously. Do you see any benefits to that? I mean, we've got kids who are locked into specific goalie po- coaches and training patterns and, and plans at a really young age. Does, is, there, is there a benefit to maybe sort of hitting that extreme a little later on? I think so. I think, you know, hockey is about having fun. And if you're not having fun, then you shouldn't be playing. And, you know, that's the best part of being a kid is, you know, you don't really have a lot of pressure on you. You're young, you can just play and have fun and you know, if you're good, you're good. And if you want to take it seriously, that decision you have to make for yourself. And yeah, I mean, you don't really need, I mean, goalie coaches. I mean, I would start working with one when I was eight, but that was more to learn the position. And I wanted to try to make rep. And that was my goal at the time. So I, you know, I'd set goals for myself and I wanted to make the triple A team. So I started working with a goalie coach and, you know, it was nothing crazy. Like just, it was more or less the beginning, just learning the basics of being a goalie. You know, I wasn't, you know, 
training super hard. It was just kind of going a couple of weeks and just kind of learn. And then as I progressed forward, it was, you know, maybe we'll start learning some technical stuff. But I mean, when I first started being a goalie, it was just purely because it was fun and I like to compete and I, I like to win. You know, I wasn't really thinking of the, the big picture. How do you maintain that now? Like, how do you balance? I mean, obviously, you're a second year pro. Um, in you know, in the organization with the Devils, there's probably pressures that come with that. How do you still, well, you keep developing and learning and getting better. How do you still like? How does Nico Das have fun when he's out there? I mean, I think a big thing for me is you know, away from the rink, just try not to think about hockey. Like, you don't want to overdo it. You know, it's I like watching hockey, and you know, I like to look back at my games, but you need to be able to find something else that you enjoy doing or, you know, watching TV, whether it's playing video games, anything like that, like just kind of take your mind off of hockey and be able to, you know, have fun with something else. And when you go to the rink, just, just have fun. I mean, that's one thing that took me a while to figure out, like even last year, you know, you're here for a reason. Like, you know, you didn't make the team just because like you're playing pro hockey because you belong here and you don't need to overthink. And, you know, that's, that's it. That'll kill you really. And you just need to be able to go out on the ice and, and just kind of turn your brain off. Just stop the puck. I mean, as, as simple as it sounds, just have fun stopping the puck. You know, hockey should always be fun. I was going to say, like, turning your brain off, and we hear it a lot, and whether it's, you know, I've made this analogy before on this show and with goaltenders over the years, it's, it's kind of like golf. It's that one-shot mentality, um, trying not to overthink, and yet it's usually the easiest thing to say. And yet doing it, even at the upper echelons of guys who have had like the most success in both sports of the world still talk about it being difficult to do. Is there, like, have you worked with, uh, obviously when you were with Hockey Canada at the World Juniors, you would have had exposure to mental skills coaches. Is there anything you've picked up along the way? Do you work with somebody now that helps you find that mindset yourself? Um, you know, I don't do any uh, like regular work with it, but I did work with um, somebody in Guelph. And, you know, we talked, we had sat down for a couple dinners and I, I think those couple dinners really, I learned a lot from those dinners and I still like still use what I, like what he said. It was, you know, just have fun. Like I used to put a lot of pressure on myself before games, you know, superstitions, pregame rituals, like it's all mental really when it comes down to it. Like you think that because you tie your laces a different way that you're not going to play as good when that's not the case. You're going to play good. You know you can play good. You've played good a million times before. There's nothing that's going to stop you from playing bad other than your mind, really. So you just need to be able to take that part away from your game and, and really just live in the moment. Have you gone away from maybe some pregame stuff that might have crossed that line to superstition and focused? Like, it's okay to have a routine, right? Like Yeah, no, routine. Routine's very different. Routine, like getting yourself ready for a game is is one thing, but I mean, I got, I used to be pretty intense with it. Like you look at a case of water, I'd only drink certain water bottles within the case and uh, listen to the same playlist every single game and wake up at the same time. And it was just, it's, it's too much. It, it just takes over your mind and you, you just feel like a robot. <laughs> Did you get to the point where if any one of those things was off, that was the one thing I remember with with uh, talking to Mitch Korn about his first time with Braden Holpe. Like it's one thing to have all those different elements, but if you think having one of them off that day is going to affect you, that's when you know you have a problem. Is that a fair? A hundred percent. I remember times where, when, you know, going on bus trips in the OHL and the bus, like we'd get to the game, like, you know, 10 minutes late and right away it's in my head. Like, oh, I really hope I can still play good because something's off here. 
any advice for young kids that are maybe have gotten themselves into that tangle a little bit themselves where they've got too much to do? Is there, are there, I guess to go back to the routine versus superstition, are there, you know, have you got sort of just, as long as I do this, I'm okay. Like certain simple, you know, simple parts of that routine that I'm going to make sure I get this done. As long as I get this done, I'm fine. Yeah. I think for, for me now it's, it's mostly as long as, you know, my body's ready to play. I've done my stretches, you know, I'm warm. I feel like I can play. And as long as, you know, I've warmed up my eyes with, you know, whatever hand-eye coordination stuff you do, I think as long as I do that now, I'm, I feel comfortable going in that. I don't really need to do a crazy amount of things anymore. You know, obviously I still like to tape my stick. Like I have a routine when I get to the rink of what I want to do, but if something gets messed up along the order, that's not going to affect my, my mental, my mental game going into the game. You, you, you went to camp early or you arrived, I guess, because you're able to as a prospect still with Jersey, you got to get there early and work this year. How important was that for you? And what was, what was the focus, especially, especially transitioning back from the bigger ice to a smaller ice surface? Was that part of the, the need to be in there early this year? A hundred percent. I mean, with COVID still going on, you know, all summer, it's, it's hard to get um, like big ice. You know, I work with my goalie coach and he's got like a, a little goalie a goalie coach ice, which isn't, it's not full size, it's just small. And so it's hard to get, you know, different reads and it's something that you really need to get, get back into. And, you know, we do a lot of technical work in the summer because I felt like that's what I lacked when I was over in Germany. You know, that was, my game was really inefficient. So, you know, we focused heavily on the, on the technical side of my game. So when I got to New Jersey, it was mainly just, you know, reads and, you know, something you never work on in the summer is points or shots from the point you almost forget what you need to do. So it's little things like that, like just getting back out there and getting back on the big ice and, and just getting all those different reads. It was, it was really important. That feel, that feel part of it. Yes, exactly. Now technical work and uh, plug time. Got to make sure we give plugs to whoever you're working with in the summer. I think it's Matt Smith, um, part of that group, especially when you mentioned the smaller ice. So what were you got when you say technical work again remember we're all goalies uh, audience here so they they understand some of, some of the phrasing some of the efficiencies what was uh, what was the focus having seen some of the videos that Matt has uh, on his various channels and and social there's a lot of great stuff there what were you guys locked in on yeah, I mean there's two things like always skating and it's like I'm worried we don't really work on like the speed of my skating it's more um, you know, how efficient I can be getting from point A to point B. So it's like when I'm moving, when I'm T pushing from one side to the other, I'm not, you know, opening up my foot and pushing and, you know, everything's connected and connectivity was a big thing all summer. Like even with shots, you know, holding my feet and being able to read the puck and not just butterfly and, and go with my hands, it's lead with the hands and then let everything fall into place. Those were probably the biggest things I worked on all summer. So in both cases, sounds like just a like you said, no open and close. Just make sure your your cl- everything is on the puck and closing down into the puck, whether it's a lateral push or off a release. Yeah, exactly. I mean, there's a lot of things that were holding me back too, like things that you know. I mean, he doesn't have the answers to everything, neither do I. So you know, we bounce ideas off of each other. And one thing we found this summer was when I keep my hips back, like push my hips back when I'm in my stance and I butter, like if I can keep my hips back and you know, I mean, it's not gonna work for everybody, but for me, like if I keep my hips back when I'm making saves and when I butterfly and when I move, it helps me stay on top of the puck more and it gives me access to my hands. And when I'm making reads on shots, like if I can keep my hips back and not just butterfly, cause then my head shoots back and my hips pull through. And that's when you have trouble, you know, reaching down you're, to those little dots. So yeah, you're, you're coming off the puck. 
Yeah, exactly. So it, a lot of that this summer, but I think it really paid off. All right. Now you mentioned setting goals earlier. You you get to camp early. You're you're getting to work early. Like what what do you set a goal for this season? I mean, it's your first taste in North American pro hockey. Do you, do you have goals for it, or how do you set that up? And are, has there been various points, maybe for the young kids listening? We have a lot of that. Um, how you would go about it? You know, even you you said like AAA and uh, when you were younger, is it is it wins? Is it performance? Is it feel? Where do those goals lie? Um. I haven't really thought about goals for the season really. I mean, it's, it's hard because, you know, you could be up, you could be down, you could be in the coast, you could be in the A, you know, you could be really anywhere. So it's hard to really set goals based on, you know, what you want to, what you want to do during the season. But I think for me, like my goal this year is just to be able to like, it's really simple. Just, you know, try not to lose. I mean, obviously during the season, you lose some of your technical stuff. It's hard like to be able to stay on point all season and, and really at the top of your game. So my goal is to be able to work on stuff all, all season long. So I lose as little as possible and also to keep myself in, in the best shape off the ice, because that's something in past years that I, I kind of lose throughout the season where I don't work out as much as I should. And then, you know, I've, I've gone through injuries before and you just, it, it's hard to keep your game where it's at in the summer. If you don't train like you do in the summer, like, you know, you train so hard off and on the ice in the summer. And if you don't, I mean, you can train really hard during the season on the ice, but if you're not training as hard off the ice, it's hard to do what you did in the summer. It's a little bit confusing. I don't know if that made any sense, but no, 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 it it does. It is. It's one of the, and it's one of the, but that's a continuous process. Like we hear that from, like I'll go right back to Corey Schneider when he first started to get more playing time as a number one. Like it's that balance between managing your game and your rest and just sort of, you know, surviving your first taste of playing all the time, like managing your game versus managing being able to get out there every second night. Sometimes you have to sacrifice one for the other just based on the schedule. And and I think that changes at each level. Yeah, for sure. Um, yeah, it's definitely a tough thing to do. So uh, I was going to ask you, I mean, you come in early, what kind of support, like, cause I know I, I'm a big fan of the New Jersey Devils and the way they've set things up. Big fan of Scott Clemenson. Love the fact that they've, you know, they've got this multi-tiered approach. Was that, was there some help available, whether it was video or Zoom or just conversations while you were in Germany? And obviously I know you had Rogi when you, when you were up with, with the big club. Um, so how did they go about supporting you as a young goaltender? I mean, they've been fantastic to me. I mean, me and, uh, me and Clemmer would do Zoom calls probably I don't know how often, but pretty often, like we do video when I was over in Germany and go through video for my games. And, you know, he'd tell me what they want to see from me and what I want to work, what they want me to work on. And all of that was really good. And then when I came here, you know, having so many people like on the goalie side of, of the organization is really helpful. Like there's so many people you can talk to and you can bounce ideas off of and everybody there is. I mean, great goalie coach. They've all been really amazing to me so far. And what, uh, like when, you, when you get down to the, like, do you have expectations for what the hockey is going to be like there? If you guys have had some preseason games, is there an adjustment for you that you're feeling right now in terms of the pace of everything? Yeah, I think, I mean, the pace, I mean, from being up um, with the Devils for, you know, all of camp, is, you know, everything is, it's really fast pace. You know, you kind of, I mean, guys are so skilled. There's, you know, they're going to pick that corner if you leave that corner there. And I mean, you come down to the A and it's, it's not too different. 
I think the one thing I've noticed so far in the in the couple preseason games I've played is it's a lot. Uh, it's all, not that it's more physical, but it's more like it, it, it's harder. And the fact that there's you, it's harder to make reads on plays. I think I'd say like there's a lot of shots from the point and fluky shots and just hitting bodies and it's all it's like it's it's really skilled hockey but there's also that element of like uh, grittiness and it's a harder battle there's a lot of traffic and a lot of what we would categorize when we're doing statistical analysis broken plays can be one of the toughest for a goaltender because those are the tough ones right like the ones that if they get to you at least even if you don't even if it just hits you, at least you feel it and know where it's going. It's the one that hits the guy in front of you and you have no idea where it's going next, right? Yeah, exactly. I've noticed a lot of those so far. Um, what kind of adjustments do you have to make? I, I know, uh, you know, from talking to people that have watched you, like they feel like the way you manage your depth in di- different situations, uh, hopefully I'm correct here, is a real strength of yours. Are you still trying to figure that out at the American Hockey League level? And what would be your key to this point if a kid was asking, like, you know, what's the key to depth management? Is there a is there a, a rule of, of thumb you have, or is it all feel? It's all feel. Like I had never really looked into the depth of my game until this year. Like being here, and you know, we do video, and he shows me like I really like how you manage your depth here, and I I was kind of thinking like, huh, I guess I did. Like it, it's it's more just reads. Like I don't even know. I mean, when I see it on video, I, I see, oh, like I backed off a little bit here or I challenged a little more here. But I mean, we have worked on a little bit, like being able to get to the top of my crease a little bit more often, I think is good. Uh, I'd like to incorporate that, incorporate that into my game a little more. And then, you know, one thing we've been working on is staying inside my, staying in the crease and staying within the posts on rebounds. You know, there's times of practices where, you know, broken play, the rebound gets popped out and I'm kind of sliding out and they make a pass back or they take it around the net. And now I'm, I'm scrambling. So staying within my post, I think is going to be a big key for me right now. now. All that traffic you talked about is establishing, like if you're going to get to the top of the crease is being there early and ahead of it so that it's your position as opposed to having f- to fight with somebody else, especially in the AHL. Is that important? Yeah, a hundred percent. And that's something that I struggled with in the first game is, well, even last year, I think last year was, I, I wasn't very good at it. Just, and that's what, you know, they pushed me here is, you know, just go, you just got to get there. Like you got to push and get there before the puck does. Cause I feel like sometimes, you know, I'd get lackadaisical almost and, you know, I'd, I'd push over and get there as the puck's getting there when I can get there on my feet way faster. Like I can get there a lot faster. It's just getting that mindset to just go, go, go. And it's helped me out a lot because if I can set my feet before the screen gets there, it's a huge advantage. Okay, so first you you get into training camp. Now, was this your first training camp? I'm trying to remember what it would have been like last year. I feel like the, I got to be honest with you, Nico. I feel like the last two years, it's kind of this weird nebulous time bubble. I I can't even figure out what's happened in the last two years. So this would have been your first Devils camp this year. Yeah, this is my first one. So what's that like when it's NHL regulars coming down the wing and firing away, or even in the lead up to camp of some of the skates you would have been involved with? Is there an adjustment process there, both in terms of you're processing their pace, reading their shots, but also maybe competing with them a little bit. Yeah, I think, I mean, I was really nervous coming to like, being my first camp. I didn't know what to expect really. And when I came down early, I think that really helped me get comfortable. And I think that was really important for the, the camp that I had. And, I mean, when I was there, there was what, 10 of us. And I think their shots were definitely higher paced than, that I'm used to. And it was good for me because it kind of pushed me to get used to it really. And then when all the, 
you know, the big NHL guys came in and their shots are a little bit harder and a little bit faster and they can pick the spots a little bit better. It's, it's honestly fun. Like, uh, it's, it's, it's just a challenge. Like, I mean, guys would score on me the first couple, like the first few skates I had, I was, guys were scoring on me left, right and center just because I wasn't used to it yet. But I thought it was so much fun because it's like, you know, I get to be out here with these guys and then, you know, you kind of pick it up and the next week I'm stopping them more often and more often, you know, that's what really builds the confidence and it just makes it so much more fun. Do you have fun? Like when that confidence, you start to feel that confidence with just because you mentioned fun earlier as being so important. And I do think we can lose track of that, even especially at the pro level and sometimes at the youth level. And we point to a guy like Marc-Andre Fleury um, and you see the fun he has. Like he will tell you, he's told us, like that really matters to him. That's a part of his success. Um, when he's having fun in practice, we hear him, he's chirping. Are you, where where are you on that spectrum in practice where you try to have that fun and compete with these guys? Are you, are you talking a little? Is it a, is it a wry smile here and there? Is that is it important to find a way to embrace that? A hundred percent. I mean, guys, as it's a comp, I mean, practice is a competition. You know, those guys, they want to score as bad as you want to make the save. So, you know, make it fun. I mean, when I'm playing and I'm on the ice and in the game and, you know, I can tell when I'm playing well because I'll be singing along to songs in between whistles. And, you know, I just catch myself like you just kind of, like I said, like your brain just turns off and you're really just out there having fun. And I, I notice that when I'm playing my best, it's, you know, everything's just, it's just so much more fun. Okay, I'm going to go out of turn here a little bit because I should have asked this one earlier. I was curious because you're in Guelph for the first two years. And then that third year, um, I don't want to use the word, I think it's easy to say late bloomer because usually something happens. But like the numbers just jumped off the charts and all of a sudden you're on the radar, you know, to be a high pick in the draft and you're in the World Junior Championship picture. Was there any one thing that clicked that allowed that to happen? And I know sometimes it can just be as simple as the environment around you defensively and team-wise. Or was, was, it, was there one thing that clicked or was it more of a process to get to there? Or was it a bit of all? I think it's a little bit of everything. I think when I first came into the OHL, I was very immature. I was, you know, I was overweight. I didn't really understand, you know, this is semi-professional and you kind of have to really get into it. like. You know, I trained in the summer off ice and on ice, obviously, but, you know, not as seriously as I should have. I didn't, I didn't really take care of myself. So, I mean, I think my first year was a big learning process and I came back my second year, you know, better shape. I felt a lot better about my game and, you know, the opportunity is just not, it's not always there. I mean, I had a, a goal, a, an older goalie ahead of me and we had a really good team that year. You know, I know that it, w- it would have taken a lot for me to, to get in the net more than I did. And I was happy with the year that I had and, you know, I didn't get drafted, but I wasn't really worried about getting drafted that year. My, you know, I was more focused on, well, obviously winning the championship that year and helping out any way I could. But the next year I kind of, I knew was, you know, my chance. So that summer was an intense summer. I lost a whole bunch of weight and worked on my game like crazy and just wanted to be as prepared as I could because I knew that year was my year. And so some good lessons there and they put the work in and you were rewarded. Um, other guys that have supported you through that, I know you, like you mentioned Matt Smith, obviously there's a whole host of guys uh, in the OHL and guys that are now in the, you know, I think of, um, you know, guys that I've met at, uh, hockey Canada, POE camps and stuff like that, that I know that work with Matt and you guys all would have been together there in the summer. Do you guys have your own little like side union within the goalie union community? Is there, is there a group chat where you're supporting each other? Eh, not really. Um, I skate with, I mean, we skate with good guys. You know, we're, we're good buddies during the summer, but during the season, we don't talk as 
much. I'd say I probably talk with Jack Reeves the most. So we always, we always talk back and forth. He's, he's from Cambridge and, um, you know, that's where Matt, it works out of. And my girlfriend's from Cambridge too. So we see each other lost in the summer, but he's a, he was a great guy. He still is a great guy, <laughs> but no, he, uh, yeah, we, it's, it's good. It's a lot, it's a lot of fun working with other goalies. Like, I mean, it's always good to have one-on-one lessons. Those are important, but when you can get on the ice with, you know, another goalie or another couple goalies and it, it makes it, it, it's almost, you learn more almost because you bounce ideas off each other. Like Jet is, he's really good on straightaway shots. Like he can hold his feet longer than anybody I know. And, you know, I, I'm, I'm good at it, but I'm not as good as he is. So, you know, I kind of try to ask him things and trying to pick up, you know, what do you do on this? How do you read it? So it's little things like that, but it's always, it's always fun to be on the ice with other guys. Were you able to pick, I mean, talk about a pro's pro, Jonathan Bernier. Do you, do, were you able to pick up anything just being around him, whether it's directly in conversation or just watching the way he manages things his first year with the Devils while you were at camp? Yeah, I think one of the biggest things is, I mean, I'm, I like the technical side of the goalie game. I think it's really important, but I think I get caught up in a little, I get caught up in it too much a little bit sometimes. Like, I think the biggest thing for me is, you know, watching him play, he's a very, he's technically sound, but there are times where you don't need to be technical. Like you just need to go and watching some of the saves he makes in practice. It's like, you know, I wouldn't even think to do that because I would think, well, I need to do this and then this and then this, whereas, you know, there's times where he'll just, just go and try to make a save however you can. Like he made some sick saves. And so that's something I try to incorporate in my game. Like just, just play. <laughs> Everything yeah. sounds kind of the same. Just have fun, just play. It sounds so simple, but it's really not. <laughs> well, it's managing to do that when you're in the midst of the pressures of a career and a first pro camp. That's a, that's a balancing act. And it sounds like it sounds like it's one that you're achieving and, and along the way, and there'll probably be other times where there'll be lessons where you have to go back to it. So um, at least you recognize it, though. Wait, to, to quote Flower, right? Like, having fun matters. Yeah, it really does. Okay, Nico, listen, this is way longer than I said I'd take, but that's what I do. I take longer than I said I would. I really enjoyed the conversation, got wrapped up in it, and we're over 30 minutes here. So I, I, you've got an AHL season that starts tomorrow. I'm going to let you go. Thank you so much for your time. It was a real pleasure to meet you and, and get to have this conversation. I know our audience is going to enjoy it as well. So thanks so much for the time today. Thank you for having me. That's awesome. I call it the Jeremy Swayman effect, though, where you're you're sitting there and uh, and you're following these kids along, and all of a sudden they're starting a season opener for an original six team, uh, and uh, and you go, I heard about that player, or I uh, was reintroduced uh, to that player on In Goal Radio, the podcast. So we wish uh, Nico uh, all, all the best. Uh, just before we get uh, too deep into this, uh, you mentioned becoming more athletic with uh, with. Uh, that conversation. And I'm, I'm just, I don't know whether I'm reading too much into this, but if, is Nico onto something here where we're hearing more and more about technique and also the ability to be more athletic and be more natural is, is that part? I don't know. Well, I don't know if it's so much athletic as much as instinctual, right? Like just not like, and, and the one thing we talked about a little bit after we, we sort of, and I wish I'd actually left the recording running. We just sort of 
started chatting afterwards about some of the things he was talking about and, and some of the things that he'd really picked up from Dave Rogalski, as I mentioned before, especially coming in early to that camp about taking all that foundation technical movement work that he'd worked on all summer and still applying it. But once he's playing, just go out and play and not thinking about it. The best analogy that we sort of came to in that conversation was it's, it's going out and making that read that my depth needs to back, I need to back off on my depth because I can see this backdoor guy here. Like it's just instinctual. Whereas at the time, if you asked him why he backed off, I don't know that Nico said, I don't know that I could tell you. When I see the tape, I can see why I did it. Like it's just, he's not actively thinking about it as opposed to, oh, the puck gets to here. It is zone one. I need to be in this position. Like just a little more flow, a little more sort of just instinctual, not thinking through the technical aspects, just going out and playing and letting that foundation sort of come through in your movement versus it's here, I need to do here. This is this situation, I need to do that. I even made the analogy to Nico at the end of it, which of course he's far too young to remember and I just came across as really old and weird. I made the Top Gun analogy. If you think out there, you're dead. And of course, once again, he's too young to know that. I really need Top Gun 2, the movie, to actually get to theaters so that some of these kids will go watch the first one so I can make my analogies about Top Gun and they understand. But the point was, you can have all this technique, but once you get out there and play, you just need to let it go. Sometimes you just need to compete. We heard him talking about learning that from Jonathan Bernier in training camp this year. But just, you know, let it happen instinctual. And and Nico's reads are exceptional the way he manages his depth. But as he said, in the moment, he can't tell you why he makes those decisions. They're just because it's not a conscious thought. It's just instinct. When he sees that guy on the back door, he backs off on the front side. He's not actually walking through a one, two, three process. He's been doing it to the point where it's just, it's instinct. It's letting that instinct come through. And I think that if you are having, you're out there processing it in that manner where it's like, Okay, where is this guy? Where is that? Like, if you have to think about it at that level, it's you are dead. It's too late. I've said before, I think it's really important in working with young goaltenders. There is a period of teaching. There has to be a period where you back off and let it, let it just take hold for the goaltender. Let it become instinctual. So many coaches, and, and I understand why, they have to justify the fee. They feel like they need to do something for the goaltender all the time. So all they get every practice, well, you should have done this. You should have done that. Let's work on this. You have to have a period where you just back off and let them play. And then all those changes that you've made can take hold. Um, I think it's a, I've called it periodizing your training, which is, is sort of butchering a, a term that comes from uh, exercise physiology where you do different things at diff different times of the year to try and overall take a person to a peak. And I think that that period of becoming more athletic, being able to use those things you've learned in different ways is vital. Using a lot of big words in this podcast today. Crapping. Yeah. Well, I need to get back to, we need to get back to that area so I can understand more of it. I <laughs> <laughs> got lots of that too. <laughs> uh, this has been fun. Uh, we got into a couple of different things that, uh, that weren't on the agenda, but uh, really, really enjoyed it. Uh, one thing that, uh, that I do want Hutch to come up with is the exact profile that he uses on Hutch's skates. That's homework. Oh, Woody told us, Woody told us, and now I've forgotten again. So just ask Woody, he's got the brain. 2428, was that it? I believe it's a 2428 front. We got to figure back. out what machine yeah. it's on. It's 
if anybody can't get their blades to Cecil, but I'm sure you could mail. So then it doesn't even matter. That's the thing. Like, why ask us? Just go straight to the experts at the hockey shop and the hockey shop.com. They'll have the right answer and they'll help you get set up with uh, a blade that's going to be the answer for you on the ice. Anybody know what 2428 means? It's the it's the radio. They're two different radiuses. So on the front of the skate, it's a 24 foot radius. And on the back of the skate, it's a 28 foot radius. So it's a little flatter. And then the front has a little more curve to it. It's it's based on a radius of a giant circle, the 24 and the 28. I don't fully understand radius it. We're talking math circle. here. You, you should it's be a giant. It's a giant. It's like my As head. It's a giant the radius circle. of a small circle. It's the radius of a giant circle. It all works. Well, differently. yeah, but it's a tw- but it literally is something about twenty eight feet, Hutch. Like it's like twenty eight no, foot know, radius. That's why it's flat. So if it was twenty eight inches, never mind. Let's just pi like, r squared times. Is it a giant circle or a small circle? No, pi know. pi is where we got into Thatcher Demko's toe ties. If we remember, that's that that's was right. pi. That was radius and pi diameters squared, and cake r round. And uh, like uh, like good comedy, we go around in the circles and we tie it back into the start of the program and the toe tie of the Finnish goaltender that got stuck in the net. Uh, we think it might be a screw to the post uh, that that's part of the post. We there's a lot of theories out there. Uh, he got he got screwed all right. Yeah, yeah, definitely, <laughs> definitely uh, that. Uh, let's put a nail in this thing and uh, tell us what's going on at uh, Ingle Mag Pro Reads. Make sure you come for your Pro Reads. Also. Little uh, like a little quote from Jeremy Swayman as well for a piece that'll be up uh, here shortly. Did what about Jeremy Swayman's season debut? Did you notice? And it's not new to him, but boy, in a league where we're losing the number one, boy, was it nice to see a guy get out there in original six with the number one on there? Because Brian Elliott, Jeremy Swayman, Eric Comrie, Thomas Grice doesn't wear number one anymore because it's retired in Detroit. That's right. Yeah. Of course. So, see, we're losing it. We got four this year, guys. Who's the fourth one? Brian Elliott brought it back. Eric Comrie, Jeremy Swayman. Who's the fourth? Do, 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 do. Patrick Wah. Do, 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 do. Casey the Smith of the Pittsburgh Penguins. We got four. And you know what? Like the number one. Come on, it's iconic. Four guys are wearing it. Four? That's actually double the amount that wore it last year at the start of the season, and there was only one two years ago. So we get into the disappearance of the number one at ingolmag.com, as well as, I mentioned it, the flushing article with Ian Clark, good pro drill with Thatcher Demko, not just about getting across on a one, two, three puck sequence, but how you rotate and push through your hip to ensure your priority is sealing the ice first on those lateral movements and rebound plays. Clarky calls it flushing. We've got a nice explanation from him as well as videos featuring him and Thatcher Demko going through the drill. That's live at ingolmag.com right now. And maybe burying the lead a bit in that story too, you get into the dropping of the stick as he's sliding across too and what, what that's all about and how to do it properly. Blocker integration on left to right desperation mode. At some point, the blocker serves a dual purpose, holding the stick and stopping pucks. There are times when we need to abandon the holding of the stick in order to stop the pucks, and they get into that, Thatcher Demko and Ian Clark. A bit more of an advanced move on the left to right blocker drop, but something we used to see Bobrovsky do on two-on-ones, something you'll see Thatcher do on those left to right scrambles in tight at times. And him and Ian help us sort of break down the when and the where. It's all at ingolmag.com for premium, where you can get instruction from NHL goaltenders and NHL goaltending coaches weekly. Love it. Uh, thanks to 
Uh, our good friends over at the hockey shop, thehockeyshop.com, source for sports, Surrey, Cam and company. Uh, check them out. Uh, use them. Uh, lean on them. Uh, they are there. They love to uh, uh, take part in your journey with you. And Nico does. Uh, our Sensorina VR feature interview this week on Ingle Radio, the podcast. And of course, uh, Kevin, David, um, uh, stick tap to you guys for uh, making sure that this uh, type of process is available and production is available to goaltenders uh, as they embark and go through this uh, season. And you, the listener, uh, appreciate it. We'll talk next week on In Goal Radio, the podcast, where hopefully we'll have a shout out in the National Hockey League. <laughs>